0: And welcome to the other side of midnight, where a lot of things go crazy at midnight. Like uh, our host, Richard Hoagland, his power went out just moments ago, and uh, we have no communication with him. His internet's down, and his phone is down. And I had nothing to play as a replay in place of this, because this was just last second Uh, Our guest tonight is going to be uh, Robert Morningstar and Stephen Bassett, but Stephen won't be coming in until the second hour or top of the second hour. And Robert and I are going to fill this gap um, with what we do know about what's going on. Uh, Congress has laid down or thrown down the gauntlet and they're demanding or asking for all uh, contractors to bring forth any ET information. And uh, that looks like a positive win here. And things should go uh, uphill from here on. But we'll find out. I'm going to bring on Robert because uh, uh, <laughs> this is, a, like I said, a last-minute uh, showed it was not supposed to be hosted by me and my co-host normally is confia but uh she seems to be um in the wind so robert um it's me and you Hello. yeah hi yeah
1: well it's very interesting um richard asked me to speak about a couple of things so that's what i'm going to do you mentioned the con- congress passing a resolution Actually, ordering the aerospace industries to disclose, to divest. And in the course of the last week, uh, a short article came across my desk that said that Lockheed Corporation was trying to find a way of giving back or giving up a reverse-engineered UFO that they have. But there's no more details other than that. Because, I don't know, I guess the fear of the Lord has come into the aerospace corporations and that the, this Congress is clawing back uh, powers that rightly belong to it. And they are using the power of the purse to put the, fu- the fear of the Lord in all concern, you know, not just aerospace companies having to divest and... Um, to divest, disclose, surrender, uh, reverse-engineered craft and alien technology. It wasn't just UFO traps. The uh, other part of that resolution involves having to fess up on reverse-engineered energy technology, zero-point energy devices, um, I suppose particle beam weapons, uh, things like that.
0: So this is um, not just for I- the military. Come forward, and uh... oh
1: no, 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 no! This is specifically for the corporations. What we call the military-industrial complex—Lockheed, McDonald Douglas, Boeing—they've been put on notice. And I suppose what the Congress is saying, you know, if you don't, if you don't fess up, if you don't give us what you're holding, you're not going to get it. I mean, why else would they have to comply? But that's the situation. I think it's a good situation. I think it shows a lot of courage on the part of the Congress moving in unison uh, to demand what's rightfully their purview, their authority, and what rightly belongs to the American people. In 2014, I spoke at the Secret Space Program Breakaway Civilization Conference in San Mateo, near San Francisco, California. And Catherine Austin Fitz disclosed that she, while working for the Clinton administration, uh, housing and urban development, she she got a you know a spreadsheet of all the holdings and all the expenses of the HUD department, mm-hmm. and she, she decided to start investigating because she saw a lot of expenditures that you know were really very high. And she did it wasn 't really clear what the money was being spent on, so she d- decided to fly around the country and visit these facilities that were listed as as um, department of oh, um, not homeless, okay. uh, urban development Housing and Urban development so she started flying around the country and going to these addresses and she would go to places that said that they were a building or facility and she'd find a field. And then she kept tracking. She got on, you know, she became a detective investigating all of this. And ultimately she figured out that her estimate, I think now is $40 trillion. I just disappeared into a vacuum. And
0: this is part of what, um, Rumsfeld was talking about in 2001 that yeah, there was $2.3 $2. $2. $2. $2. $2. trillion missing from yeah. the military budget.
1: Right. The day before 9-11 on September 10th, he announced that, oops, well, we don't know where it went, you know, $2.3 trillion and we're investigating it. And then it just so happens that the area of the Pentagon that was hit the next day was uh, a naval office where the audit was being done, the, the the point of impact, if you want to call it that, for whether it was the airliner or the missile or both, was uh, the result was to wipe out the office in the Pentagon where the audit was being conducted, where the records had been uh, collected. So, uh, good to have a Barbara Honiger would speak very knowingly about that issue. Uh, but yes $2.3, uh, $2.3 trillion is part of $40 trillion, according to Katherine osborne Fitz, that she was able to uh, track down and deduced that it had gone into the secret space program.
0: I heard that there was also paperwork in the trade centers or one of them mm-hmm. that uh, also was, could have led a trail back to them uh, and where that money went to. But um,
1: let's not not forget also, since the subject is UFO, that a UFO was seen uh, flying near the World Trade Center on 9-11. It was caught on uh, cameras from very long distances. The government and uh, corporations have never released close-ups of it. And then in October of 2011, there was uh, quite a significant sighting of a UFO passing by the World Trade Center, and it was footage taken from a helicopter. And the, the UFO, you know, when, you, when you're studying it, you can see before people react to it, you can see it passing in the gap between the two towers. So a couple of seconds later, it emerges uh, openly on the right of the North Tower, and then suddenly it zips away, and somebody says, look, it's over there. And then as they turn the camera over there, uh, we've talked about this. It it zooms in really almost on a collision course with uh, the helicopter and makes a U-turn and uh, leaves what I consider a trail of ionized air as it makes a U-turn at incredible speed and zips off into high altitudes.
0: Well, um, what I understand uh, about that is I... uh, I think that was a sci-fi channel um, promotion that yeah, they put that together. Uh, well, I
1: think they put See, to leak something that's real on a sci-fi channel leaves you plausible deniability and that's what I think was happening there. I analyzed that video and I think it's real But the, and the fact that it came out on a sci-fi channel I don't think uh, debunks it. I think it's uh, one of those perfect leaks that they can say, "Oh no, no, no!" If anybody goes. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was on the Sci-Fi Channel, but I take it seriously.
0: But really. the, the reason I I don't accept it is because, uh, one, these things don't leave contrails. Two, they don't make curvature turns; they make ninety-degree angle turns. And this thing left the contrail and made a wide curving turn to go away. Well, from. you're
1: assuming it's a contrail. You're assuming it's a contrail. It could also be an ionization trail. So let's leave that aside. It's just an incident, a, a sidebar okay. uh, But the UFOs uh, and I showed you my video of UFO activity in uh, the skies across New York. And I have my I've had my nine experiences at the monument where they're close, really close approaches of UFOs. So they're showing themselves and as somebody very astutely said, uh, recently and, you know, more than once, there's not going to be any disclosure until the aliens or the extraterrestrials say there can be a disclosure. And as far back as 2008-2010, when I was involved in trying to get disclosure through the United Nations with uh, a working group, U.S. Navy-sponsored working group wanted to get the disclosure discussion happening in the United Nations to do an end around against the bloc in the deep state, the United States government, deep state, CIA, U.S. Air Force, U.S. Army, one faction, and the U.S. Navy always trying to get the the facts out to the public. So the United States Navy, simply because of the rotation, the sequence of rotation in the heads of the chairman of the department, uh, chairman of the joint chiefs of staff, Director of National Intelligence, and Commander-in-Chief of Central Command, all of a sudden, the rotation, just by natural order, resulted in three Navy men holding those positions. Uh, Mike McMullen became Director of, Central Intelli- uh, of uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff. Mike McConnell became Director of National Intelligence, and, um, I forgot uh, the Admiral who was in charge, the Admiral who was in charge of central command. And, uh, so they, they put us to work. I was approached by the department of the Navy for my writings in the UFO digest. So they said that they'd read it and they, they thought thought was a serious person and I could be trusted. And they wanted me the to be uh, the uh, second source to get the information out to the public to write reports, leaking basically what was going on behind the scenes at the United Nations, which included meetings, religious organizations were brought in. The, uh, they established an ambassador for outer space affairs. And it was really interesting. I got to meet her. She was awarded the Leonov Medal um, during that second year. It was 2009, 2010. Some, something uh, overlapped a couple, quite a few months. And I met the chairman of the United Nations Committee for the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. A very, very, very nice man. We really hit it off, Mr. Propriatu, Romanian, Romanian astronaut who told me about his journeys into outer space and how he still dreamed about outer space. And I asked a question at the press conference. Uh, Since I'd met him before the press conference and we had a good, you know, rapport, I asked the question, you know, what does the United Nations have plans uh, for a possible contact with extraterrestrial races? And he, he smiled when I gave him the question. He was part of like six or seven people, including Neil deGrasse Tyson was there. Um, and somebody from the State Department was there. And he smiled and he said, he, started this, he said this, he said, well, the United Nations has many plans ready for the prospect of encountering life in outer space both micro- microbial life and intelligent life. And at that moment, I saw these shoulders go up on the right side of the panel and they went up and they went down. And then she said, excuse me, excuse me. I want to make something perfectly clear here. And it was the ambassador for outer space affairs, whom I also had met before the conference and had a good rep call with. Her name was Mazlan Osman. And she said, I want to make it clear. Nothing on the subject of UFOs is going to come to the floor of the General Assembly unless we get prior approval from three organizations, the the International Association of Aeronautics, the International Association of Astronautics, and the International Association of Science. If these three bodies of science do not agree, nothing is going to come to debate on the floor of the United Nations. And there you had it. The scientific uh, wall was blocking debate regarding UFOs at the United Nations. Now, it's interesting that I, I, was, very, I was very involved in, in this thing. Uh, I met uh, the Navy officer who was in charge of it. They had a briefing, according to him. They had a briefing in the United Nations, a secret one. And an ET representative was there to discuss with them uh, the agreements that they had with the United States government and the United Nations, and how disclosure was to be brought about. They also told me that the aliens, let's call them back for now, shorter word than extraterrestrials, the aliens demanded, were demanding at that time a disclosure of their presence here to the world public because they were tired of uh, hiding in the background. They also said that it was necessary for them to intervene openly in world affairs because the world was uh, on the on way to uh, self-destruction ecologically and that they had technologies that could help repair the ecological conditions. And this involved pollution of the oceans and um, earthquake activity and things like that. What so year was fight. that? That was during 2009,
2: 2010.
1: Okay. And so there was a, there was a crescendo you know, of events that was happening. In, in 2007, i just going back from memory. 2007, a really significant UFO event happened at O'Hare Airport. In Chicago. I remember that. Hun- yeah, hundreds of people saw on a totally overcast day, hundreds of people on the road on the highway saw a UFO hovering over one of the terminals, major terminals of O'Hare Airport. Ground crew saw it. Pilots saw it. Pilots called up the tower, referred to it. Ground crew called up the tower, referred to it. The tower didn't know what it was. but people mm-hmm. were observing it, this Rather large UFO just zipped straight up, boom, and, plug, and blew a hole in the clouds. I said total cloud cover. So the UFO went vertically straight up at incredible speed and left a hole in the clouds. A
0: Cylindrical hole. As a matter yeah, of
1: fact, allowed the sunshine. Imagine a totally dark day. It was late. It was I think it was around November. My it was not summertime. So cold, late fall or winter day. And it just blasted through the cloud cover and left a column of light coming down through the hole that it had plugged, uh, you know, plunge, uh, poked through. So that was 2007. In 2008, I went down to Washington for Leslie Keene's press conference at the National Press Club where she had uh, pilots and the government officials who came out and talked openly uh, and calling for disclosure, and there is when I got to meet the uh, General De Broyer, who was the uh, commander of the Belgian Air Force at the time that the Black Triangle was making its rounds over there in 1989, and was being was flying low and slow and stopped, and scores of photographs were taken. The, the Belgian Black Triangle. Mm-hmm. Uh, F-16s were sent after it. I did a lot of work on some of the photographs, which were very dark, and I was able to bring through computer enhancement. I was bringing out details like a red light. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the black triangle that was zipping around. It, there was a red UFO that it deployed, and it was acting as, its, I would say, swingman. So when people saw the first black triangle, I think it was the one that's called the, uh, the photo from Petty Richard. And uh, you saw a black triangle with a red light behind it, and you thought that the red light was part of the black triangle, but when I enhanced it, it was a separate entity. And then there were other reports that it had come over Belgian towns and released the red UFO, and it had come down into the town and flown around and gone back up At the same conference, I met pilots who had gone out after the UFOs. I met General Parvez Jafari, who was the uh, chief of staff of the Iranian Air Force, and he was the F-4 pilot back in 1979, September 16th of 1979. He had been uh, scrambled. He'd been scrambled to intercept the UFO that was seen near the airport in Tehran. So he was vectored to this air, uh, this anomaly, this U-Ape, right? So there was a U-Ape floating around in the uh, area of Tehran in the northeastern north region
0: near the Airbus Mountains.
1: And so they were scrambled two jets, uh, F-Phantoms, F- uh, F-4s.
0: I remember yeah. a time when I I was going up to Manchester in New Hampshire for a presidential election, and I was supposed to be at stationed at one of the uh, one of our affiliates up there, and we're at like thirty thousand feet, and there was clouds all the way to the horizon, thick clouds. You couldn't see the ground or anything, and I'm just looking out the window, and this was shortly after. Um, this was shortly after 9-11 that took place. It was maybe a few months or whatever. And I'm looking at the clouds. And next thing I know, I see this dark disk mm-hmm. hovering just above the clouds, at least 10,000 feet below us. And this thing was huge. And it was so big, I think we could have flown down and landed on it. It was that big, but it wasn't moving. We were flying over top of it, so it was just sitting there. And I know the pilot and the co-pilot had to see this thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was unmistakable. And we flew over, and I watched it go out underneath the wing of the plane. And for a minute, I wanted to say, you know, UFO out the side of the plane, but I, I remember, you know, we, we had just come out of nine eleven, and I wasn't gonna make people Maybe. strap me Maybe. down. You know? yeah.
1: Maybe you remember the twilight zone with William Shatner.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the Kremlin
1: was out on the wing messing with the engine. But were you flying near Maine? Because you said,
0: where yeah, were you We were headed for Manchester. Um,
1: Manchester, New Hampshire. Yeah. Well, you know, that's not far from Maine. And uh, for people who are interested, uh, you can go to my sub-stack, the Morningstar Report newsletter robertmorningstar.substack.com and look, backtrack on an article that I wrote, uh, UFOs over the great state of Maine, the the great state of Maine and New Hampshire are hotbeds of UFO activity. So I chronicled uh, uh, several uh, cases, including abduction cases that occurred in Maine in the 1950s. There's a very... Let me go back to the the F4 incident because this is a very important. The pilot of the F4, uh, General Parvez Jafari, gave a talk. And while I was in England that the previous summer, I bought a series of UFO books that are not available in the United States. there's, there's actually the series it's called X Files series, and I I bought one at the airport. Bought two at the airport, and I was reading. Specifically about an incident that involved a British doctor who was working in Iran and had a close Iranian friend. So the Iranian friend invited him to make a pilgrimage up to a holy mountain where one of their prophets is buried. And in order to um, support pilgrimages into that region, the Iranian government has built... Um, bungalows or shacks or um, small cabins, I would say, cabins with bunk beds so that the pilgrims can go up there and sleep and stay on the mountain and do their their prayers and pay reverence to the the prophet. So this doctor and this Iranian uh, friend of his go up, they park their car up on the mountain and they go into the cabin. And in the middle of the night, they were awakened by sounds of uh, stones and, you know, crunching footsteps. And then all of a sudden, the door opened, and in walked six men. They were dressed in black from head to toe. They had hoods on. They had a cover. The, The hoods covered their mouths and their noses, but they had big black eyes. And he said that Without a word, without a single word between them, these uh, fellows, these beings looked at them and it was clear, Just yes, start walking, we're going someplace. And they, they walked out and in pitch black night and they heard stones and sticks breaking under their feet as they scuffled and shuffled up, uh, being led by these uh, men in black. Iranian version, men in black with big black eyes. And they kept walking in the darknesses. And all of a sudden they said that they felt like a, a thick rug, like a Persian carpet under their feet, all of the sticks and stones. They just, they just walked through the darkness and the, the terrain changed under their feet. Then they were led into this room that had a huge window. All of a sudden, they could see the landscape through that window, and then it lifted off. And they claimed to have seen Yugoslavia. They could see sheeps and shepherds on the hills of Yugoslavia as they flew by and then Italy, and then they saw Paris, and they were shown London, and then they were returned back to Iran. But when they woke up, They were lying on the road at the base of the mountain and they looked at their car and their car was 75 feet or so away from them, but they hadn't parked it there. They had parked it up on top of the mountain. And so then they got in the car and started driving in. Now they thought that this was one night. They thought that they went into the cabin, they went to sleep, they got awakened, they got taken, they got given a tour and were put back the same night. On the road, So they start driving into Tehran, and they turn on the radio, and then they heard the report coming over the radio of the F4 incident and the intercept, and they realized that it wasn't the next morning. It was actually two days later, so they had a whole uh, probably 36 hours of missing time, hmm. and they couldn't explain it to each other. And it specifically said that this happened in a region called the Airbus Mountains. So after the conference uh, where General Provez uh, Jafari had given his account of chasing it, now in the chase, he was vectored in to the UFO. He could see it brilliantly radiating multiple colors uh, in the skies and stationary. And as he approached it, he turned on his uh, radar. He got a missile lock on it. And at the moment that he got the missile lock on it, he said his, his cabin his cockpit seemed like he was so hot it seemed like he was on fire, and nothing worked. All the electronic equipment failed navigation equipment. The engine, the jet engine kept kept uh, blowing and propelling him. but he had no radio communications and he had no uh, navigation equipment. And so, as he was heading toward it, after having locked missiles on this uh, UFO, he saw a white UFO emerge from the big, resplendently brilliant rainbow colored, I would say he said there multi colors, every color in the rainbow was radiating from the scene. He saw a white light streaking toward him and he thought he was gonna be destroyed. He thought it was a missile
0: that had been shot at him. Okay, so Robert. He, we're, so he we're turned coming up okay, on the bottom of the hour. Okay. Uh we're gonna pick up back pick up pick back up where we left off here. All right. This is interesting stuff. All right. Uh, you're listening to The Other Side of Midnight. Because Richard lost power, uh, Robert Morningstar and myself, Keith Morgan, we're hosting the show because it was at the last second that he lost power. We'll be back in just a moment. <laughs>
3: The other side of midnight dot com,
0: and welcome back to the other side of midnight. Right now, it's just Robert Morningstar and myself, and Richard Lost Power. If his power comes back and he regains his internet, he should be able to come online with us, um, hopefully before Stephen gets here in the next 28 minutes. But uh, tonight, we're talking about UFOs, obviously. We're also talking about what Congress is doing to shake the trees to get the uh, information out of the people who know. And that's the government contractors who have been making a bundle off all of this stuff and keeping it quiet. So, Robert, uh, you want to pick yeah. up where you left off?
1: Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, we're, we're in Iran. We're over, uh, over Tehran, Iran, Northeastern Iran there, uh, near the Air Mountains. And General Jafari has locked on his radar to a UFO uh, intending to shoot missiles at it. When his his cockpit feels like it goes on fire, all of his electrical equipment fail, his radio fail, he saw a white light emerge from the UFO coming directly at him, and he thought that he was going to be shot out of the sky. So he veered, he turned his plane away from the UFO, and then he saw the white light return to the UFO, made a U-turn, And uh, didn't leave a concentration condensation trail, but it returned back to the UFO and merged with it. And this was at 25,000 feet. So then he saw the UFO descend very rapidly to the desert floor. So he brought his plane down to between 15,000 feet and 12,000 feet, and he circled the UFO on the on the ground in the desert. And he said that he could see the light from the UFO. Uh, illuminating the desert floor with his multicolored, uh, multicolored lights. So he turned around, went back to base, and reported in. Uh, he had to, He was scared out of his wits because he thought he was going to die. So then, at the end of the lecture, I walked over to him and started talking to him. And I mentioned the previous account that I told you about the Iranian, uh, the British doctor and the Iranian citizen who had been abducted over that two-day period when his encounter with the UFO occurred. And I said to him, and it happened in this mountain, in this region called the Airbus Mountains. When I said Airbus Mountains, he lit up, he straightened up, and his eyes. Oops, sorry. right? And then he said, you know, I didn't say this during the lecture, but the next morning I went to the airport and I commandeered a helicopter and I flew to the place, to the landing site where I saw the UFO land. And he said, and it was there where you say the Airbus mountains. So that was, that was a hit. Uh, It was a very, very gratifying uh, experience uh, to bring two pieces of information together and have have um, corroboration. I was corroborating for him and he, for me, that these two events, if you read about them independently, you don't know they're connected, but uh, he actually said it was there. He may have gone to the UFO that actually abducted those, those two pilgrims, let's call them. Okay. So I'm, I'm laying out a chronicle of the disclosure uh sequence over over these years. Okay, so there we are at um Washington with Leslie Keene at the press conference. I also met a, a pilot from Ecuador who was scrambled in an SU-27, Sukhoi 27 The Army base uh, had been having its uh, morning uh, roll call, and they saw a UFO hanging out just, you know, Holding station, as, as we say in navigation, you just hold your position, and uh, about well, a mile or two away from the, from the fort. So they called the Air Force, and they scrambled the a, a Suk- Sukhoi 27, which is a pretty high-flying uh, Russian interceptor. And they vectored in on, on the UFO. The UFO took off and started climbing, and the Ecuadorian pilot chased it. And as he chased it, he opened up on it and he fired both uh, heavy duty uh, machine gun fire and rockets. And he said that he was hitting it, but something was deflecting. They weren't hitting the the craft itself. They were hitting some kind of force field. And he chased it up, he said, to up to 50,000 feet. And he was so intent on the chase that he forgot about his fuel because he was on afterburners trying to catch up with this thing. Then he saw that his fuel was really low, so he had to turn around. And then he turned around, and then the UFO turned around and what was on his tail, and he said it was the scariest time of his life because he thought the UFO was going to do to him what he had done to the UFO, which was fire upon it. And so since I speak Spanish, we had also there, we had a great rapport, got photographs taken together. And um, the interesting thing, is all of this is leading towards that, that time, the, um, the following year, the, the attempt at disclosure to the United Nations. Another thing that happened that year, 2008, was the Stephenville UFO sighting where a qualified pilots, townspeople, scores of people saw it, and a giant UFO was seen over Stephenville uh, hovering in the sky and actually – assuming strange attitudes. and What I mean by strange attitudes is seeing a horizontal UFO, brilliantly lit, illuminated UFO, tilting 90 degrees and standing on an edge. And um, the witness said that all of a sudden it just took off. Heading directly, coincidentally, toward Crawford, Texas, which is where George W. Bush then President George W. Bush had his Texas White House. And the pilot witness who saw it said that it took off easily going at 3,000 miles an hour. And shortly thereafter, he saw 10 F-16s heading in the same direction. So that was a big deal because that was the first time that the mass media, especially CNN, covered a UFO event seriously. Larry King Live had... uh, the witnesses, Angelia, Angela Joyner, very sweet lady. I, I worked with her. She broke the story. I published it in UFO Digest. I spoke to her on the phone several times at length uh, regarding other subsequent articles and reports that she was making, and that broke the ice in the mass media, and I remember with great satisfaction, really, watching Larry King Live, where he had the eyewitness. The pilot eyewitness and talking to him, and he also had Michael Shermer, you know, the uh, the skeptic, mm-hmm. and uh, he Larry was interviewing uh, the pilot witness, and in the middle of it, Michael Shermer made a comment, you know, to try to you know ridicule. And Larry King Larry King said, shut up, Michael. <laughs> Just like that, shut up, Michael. And I knew it was ended. I knew that that was the moment that, that the ridicule had come to an end and that they were finally going to treat something seriously. So then we move on to uh, the U.N. period when I was working with two friends here in New York who had been contacted by the Navy, the three of us started to work on writing the articles. They would give me the information from the Navy source. Then I would write up the article. So we did that, several articles, including that the religious meeting was very important, that they brought in uh, religious leaders for another secret meeting. Now here's the really important part. I finally got to meet the Navy officer he took me out to dinner and he told me, that's when he told me, the Pentagon respects your work. They know you're serious, you're not, not a kook, you know, you're, you're not a uh, you know, tinfoil hat, and they mm-hmm. respect your work, so we're going to work together. And then he had a meeting organized, he organized the meeting, and they had a briefing from one of the ETs. So I asked him to describe that ET to me and how it went. He said to me that it was a female, she was tall, she was totally white, she was dressed in white and totally professional, almost like a corporate person and unusual looking and that he felt that she was putting on a spell is the best way I can tell you. She was uh, shape-shifting of some sort because she talked for about an hour, but he said that after a half an hour to 45 minutes, the, the effect of seeing her as a kind of tall, white, corporate, corporately dressed um, woman, that the effect started to wear out. And by the end of the lecture, she didn't look that human anymore. And I said, well, what does she look like? he says, you know, it's really hard to describe. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, you know, all the features, the features kind of changed and they kind of got sort of amorphous. I said, well, what does that mean? He says, I don't know. She just kind of started to look like the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> I swear I swear to god these are the exact words that this captain in the United States Navy said to me. Well, you know, it was really weird. I just just felt like this this uh technology that they had been using to keep her looking, you know, quasi human mm-hmm. although totally white uh it started to wear off. Its effect on us started to wear off and we started to see her change shape and that was it. She looked, you know, kind of like the Pillsbury Doughboy. So anyway, as that was happening, people don't know that within the UFO community, there is a hardcore group of activists who don't want disclosure because they've carved out their little piece. There, It's very parochial. So they've carved out their little piece of expertise on UFOs, and they've got their their income stream, and they published their books, and it's their version of the Roswell crash that's the only version that's true, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, a counter-disclosure group developed in the UFO community, and two lame brains went out of their way to try to discredit everything that we were doing in our effort to uh, arrive at disclosure through the United Nations. And they went to great lengths and finally outed the um the Navy officer gave out his identity, uh, you know, found pictures of him at a uh at a masquerade party, a Halloween party, uh dressed in a risque costume with his girlfriend, uh you know. You know, it was a a joke. But they put that out and everything just uh, the whole they crashed the whole thing. But what happened was I was told, okay, he's not, (laughs) he blew his cover. He's not going to be involved anymore, but we're still going on with it. So we used to call him Source A. I used to call him Squid. That was my code name for him. And then they brought in another officer who was Source B. And they kept trying and kept trying. But the forces of anti-disclosure, meaning the deep state, the CIA, the Air Force, and the Army, I lumped them all together against the U S Navy, which is always trying to be the, the vanguard of disclosure. So that blew over. But the important thing that I have to emphasize is that that disclosure was happening because the aliens were demanding it. They said, you have to tell our people, your people, you have to tell your people that we're here. And if you don't, we're going to start appearing openly, in skies and over capitals of other cities, uh, uh, capital cities around the world, and show the world what deceivers you are. And you have to do it by 2014. Well, 2014 came and went, and attempts were made. And, of course, 2014 is when Obama was in the White House. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing Obama on a a late-night show, and he he was asked about UFOs, and he he had a he had a panic
0: attack. He practically had a panic attack, evading the question. Yeah, I remember him saying, "I, I can't talk about that." <laughs> yeah, I
1: can't talk about that because you know I might wind up like JFK. And you know what? Of course, we know now that JFK was killed because of uh, his intense interest and his his intention. He shared UFO. He shared UFO. Information with Nikita Khrushchev He agreed with Nikita Khrushchev To work together uh, For peaceful uses of outer space And to go to the moon together uh, In a joint venture And for that reason The CIA had a Kangaroo court martial And they declared the death penalty On him For those of you who don't know I do have my radio shows on Revolution Radio On Sundays at 3 and on Mondays at 10 this Monday at 10 o'clock Eastern on Studio B, Revolution Radio, I'm going to conduct my fourth interview with the man who killed President Kennedy, or one of the men who killed President Kennedy, the one who delivered the fatal shot to the head from the grassy mill. His name is James Files. He confessed live on my show on Easter Sunday. We got the information to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and he's been telling the whole world, So, again, I would like to direct you to uh, the Morningstar newsletter on Substack, .substack robertmorningstar.substack.com. I just updated an article that I wrote originally for UFO Digest and first published here on the other side of midnight.
0: I was watching something on Redacted today, Uh, uh, Robert uh, Kennedy Jr., was right. talking about this, his father's assassination and how massive that cover-up was. How they uh, none of the shots that hit him came from the direction of where um, Sirhan Sirhan was standing, right. and he was shot from behind by the guard who was leading him in the direction of through the kitchen or wherever they were going when they weren't supposed to be going that way, right. and uh, it was a complete setup.
1: Yeah, he was less than the smaller. You know, it, I wrote that in 2018. I'm the one who put it all together, and I'm very proud of it. Robert Kennedy was very dear to me. I met him in real life, and uh, he was my senator at uh, the time when he was in the uh, Senate. Mm-hmm. And I put it together with a friend named Roy Schaefer. And one of the key elements of it is something that was hidden for 50 years. Robert Kennedy fought for his life. When he sensed the guard grab his arm and not want to let him go and draw the gun, Robert Kennedy turned and he mm-hmm. took the, the, the killer by the throat. And he wrestled that killer to the ground as he was pumping four shots into him, including the shot in the back of the head and uh, three shots uh, to the body. And he grappled with him, fell to the ground with him, and he ripped a, a tie off his a clip-on tie, off his neck.
2: Hmm. And he,
1: Robert Kennedy clutched that tie to his chest, to his heart, as he lay dying, and waited for him to be attended by a, a Filipino nurse. A male nurse came to his aid. All the reporters surrounded him. And then Robert Kennedy took the tie and he laid it out on the ground so that everybody could see it. But Time magazine and every newspaper in this country covered up that tie. And for the next 45, 50 years, whenever you saw a picture of Robert Kennedy on the ground dying, it was cropped right at the collar. They never showed you his fist holding on to the tie. But I learned about that in 1995 from my friend Roy Schaefer. So I always had my eye out for it. And it just so happened that at that year, uh, 2018, the 50th anniversary of it, I found the picture. And we published it here on the other side of midnight, and you were part of that. And if you go back to that, it was June 6th, 2018, when we commemorated it. The pictures are all there. So I revived that article, the last acts of Robert F. Kennedy, and I sent it again to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And I was so happy. I, almost, I was almost brought to tears. But
0: yesterday. do we we know the reason why they assassinated him?
1: Oh, yes same reasons he didn't want to continue the war in Vietnam if he became president of the United States he was going to expose and go after the killers of his brothers and he and John F. Kennedy together were involved in UFO investigations and UFO research and they were intent on disclosing the UFO issue but more importantly the takeover of the UFO The takeover of the United States government by what Dr. Greer calls the ILG, the illegitimate, uh, ISG, illegitimate secret governments of the United States. And that's why the Congress is going out after them. Congress is, as I said, clawing back its rightful authority after the national security state arrogated to itself itself powers that were not granted to them and are unconstitutional, and they have been running an unconstitutional government since the assassination of John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, and a long line of others. But with the disclosure, the peekaboo disclosure, as I call it, you know, the tic-tac disclosure that President Trump conducted successfully, December 16, 2017, They can't shut that door down anymore. So the U.S. Navy ultimately did succeed. We failed in 2008 to 2010, but in 2017 we succeeded. And you can't close that door. The tic-tacs are real, the videos are out, the pilots have testified, and now it's really going gangbusters. So we come to the resolution passed by Congress are demanding that all the aerospace companies fess up and surrender the technology that the United States, the people of the United States have paid for. Yeah. All that belongs to the people, we the people. And finally, we have a Congress with balls enough to challenge the deep state and expose all of it. So the CIA is on the ropes and... Robert Kennedy is punching hard. So I, let me finish. Yesterday, as I said, I was almost brought to tears because I saw his interview with Bill Maher, and as he, start, he started talking about the assassination of his father, he was reciting my article. He recited the article word for word. The autopsy, the tie, the clutching of the throat. The one thing he didn't mention was that on that day, June 6, 2018, the first issue of the Washington Post online had a remarkable photograph. It showed Robert Kennedy on the ground dying. It showed him being attended by the Filipino nurse. It showed the legs of six reporters that were standing around him watching him die. And it showed between the legs of a reporter a cop's hat with a hand reaching for it. They say that. The uh, criminal always returns to the crime. I said Robert Kennedy fought for his life like a lion. He wrestled the killer to the ground. He ripped the tie off his head, off his neck, and the hat fell off. And then Mm -hmm. he split. But when the hat was there on the floor, he had to come back for it. And some photographer shot a picture, and you see the hand reaching for the cop hat. Well, you know what? I tried to download that picture. It was blocked from downloading. So I grabbed my camera and shot it right off the screen. When I told all my other friends to go to the Washington Post and see it, it had been scrubbed. Within six hours, it was no longer there. But fortunately, I had shot it off the screen. And so... Mm. This is history, and Robert Kennedy recited my article word for word. So I've updated the article on Substack, RobertMoynistar.substack.com, and you can see the last acts of Robert F. Ken- the last acts of Robert F. Kennedy. And after you read the article, I put his interview with Bill Maher at the bottom, so you can hear him recite everything you've read about So. I'm very satisfied with that. I'm very proud of the work I've done to uh, shed light on the worst things that ever happened to our country. The coup d'etats, multiple. Started with JFK and it's just maintaining it. The deep state has got to go. The The deep state is a greater danger to the United States than the aliens.
0: This is uh, th- this whole thing has been s- such a fiasco with these guys running in the background doing all of these things and outside the Constitution, outside the checks and balances of our government, and they think they can get away with it because they think nobody's looking. But now the spotlight's been shined in their direction and uh, they're fleeing like cockroaches. Yes. And hopefully they're going to get their comeuppance because yeah. you can't sit and and think you can pull the wool over the people's eyes forever and keep mm-hmm. the same stuff going on. Um, and, and now that the non-disclosure uh, um, contracts that uh, the military people signed are now null and void, right? They can come forward and tell their stories. And right. these stories sound so fantastic. Some people aren't going to accept it, but it's the truth. They're telling you the truth. Yep. And but
1: speaking of cockroaches, 51 of the f- worst cockroaches are the ones that testified or uh, signed the letter saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. And they're being called on the carpet, too, because this Congress is – bringing them in to testify, why they testified a lie, to influence the 2020 election. And all of them are going to lose their security clearances, which is big bucks. They leave leave the quote-unquote intelligence community, such a warm and fuzzy term, and then they start to rake in a lot of money from MSNBC and CNN as talking heads because they've got security clearances. Well, the Congress is stripping them of it. There were four CIA directors in that group of 51. And, of course, you've got the other uh, 47 talking heads who were spooks in various uh, degrees and categories of management. And they're all being called on the carpet and they're going to lose their security clearances because the CIA has been interfering. The CIA and the FBI have been interfering in presidential elections since the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So on Monday night at 10 o'clock on Studio B at Revolution Radio, you can hear the whole story, including I will be reciting, reading the CIA documents that were maintained about all the meetings that were held, all the people who were attending, Robert Trumbull Crowley, CIA Director of Clandestine Services or Clandestine Operations, kept very, very detailed notes. And on his deathbed in 1999, he gave these notes to another CIA agent named Gordon Ferry. Gordon Ferry gave notes to...
0: Okay, Robert. Let's, let's hold hold that thought because okay. uh, we're coming up on the top of the hour, and I okay. want to make sure we get out on time. Right. Um, I heard from Stephen; he's on the road, and he's not in uh, California right now. So, but um, hopefully, he'll he'll be able to get past whatever he's working on and uh, get to us, and then we okay. can uh, interview him. All right. You're listening to The Other Side of Midnight. I'm your host tonight because Richard lost power at the last second. And we're talking with Stephen Bassett. And we're, well, we're going to be talking with Stephen Bassett. We're talking with Robert Morningstar right now. And we should be back in a minute. <laughs>
2: other side of
3: Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs 9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. On the other side of midnight.com
1: if you're in the hyperdimensional one thing you'll find is essential is our
2: club 19.5.
1: It's a hyperdimensional storage case A treasure trove of outer space
4: Our club,
2: 19.5 All the data we've accumulated find it
4: titled and collated Why don't you just
5: drop on by And give our club a try
2: If you're
1: in the hyperdimensional You'll find our credentials are fine
2: Club 19.5
0: Back to the other side of midnight. Um, heard from Stephen Bassett, he's out and about, but he's having a few technical difficulties, and um, not sure if he's gonna make it, uh, but he's trying his best right now. So, Robert and I are still hanging on with the show here. Of course, Robert's doing most of the talking, but um we're hoping the Richard's power will come back, but so far uh, nothing's happened. So, uh, we're talking about Congress finally getting the kahunas to be able to demand from the people, the military industrial complex to give up the information on the ETs and the technology. And, uh, it's a big breakthrough. It's, it's a major breakthrough. The question is, um, are we ready for this? And if we are, uh, how does it unfold at this point? Uh, cause Robert was telling us that, uh, there's been ET contacts in the government. It's always been that way. They just never told us. And the ETs actually gave the, uh, our government, an ultimatum that said, Hey, you have to tell your people that we're here. If you don't do it by a certain time, we're going to do it for you. In other words, they said they're going to do things to make themselves visible to us. And we've been seeing a lot of that lately. So uh, hopefully this world has grown up enough to step forward and say, okay, we're not alone. We've never been alone. And and go with it from that point. And where do we go from there? Of course, there's a lot of people who are not, not accept this and they're gonna get drugged into the 21st century kicking and screaming because they don't want to accept what's there. But this is part of reality that nobody really wanted to accept. And I've been watching the the Skinwalker Ranch episodes and the stuff coming out of there is just mind-blowing and some of the stuff these guys don't even see and i'm going do you ever look at your own videos uh because there's stuff i'm seeing popping up and disappearing and all kinds of things but um it's part of the disclosure it's part of us coming across um or our growth this is how we learn this is how we move forward is we have to look at the evidence and we have to weigh it. And if you, if you don't stop and look at all the stuff, I mean, there's, there's things that were built thousands of years ago that were way, way above the intelligence and the ability of primitive man to do these things. But uh, we've been taking credit for stuff that we didn't do. Because most of it was done by these guys who have been here for thousands of years. And if they meant us harm, they could have wiped our noses a long time ago. But they didn't. And they've been protecting us. And there's good examples of that. And in the law of And Lil said... He said, at the ark, we call it the ark, with the Noah wasn't the guy that built it. He said, from this point forward, we will look out for and protect man. Go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar? And that's what they've been doing is they've been looking out for us, but they've been keeping their heads down, and now it's time for us to grow up. So I'm going to bring Robert back, and uh, we're going to go from there. Okay. Okay, Rob.
1: Yeah, well, I was giving you the genealogy of truth, you know, the documents, the disclosure, the revelation of what really transpired with the JFK assassination, Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, and uh, others, a long line of others. So, as I said, this particular CIA officer, the director of clandestine operations, Robert Trumbull Crowley kept detailed notes of every meeting and all the people who attended. So I'm going to take this opportunity to read to you the file is from the file, not the whole file It's 28 pages long, but the gist of it. And I'm going to read it verbatim to tell you who was at the meetings, to tell you who was involved and to report to you that one month after the assassination of President Kennedy, they had an after action uh, report, an act after action meeting uh, regarding everything that had transpired during the previous year in 1963. Between March of 1963 and November 14th, 1963, there were weekly meetings in Washington and Langley and other places, planning, the execution of President Kennedy. I said that a kangaroo court-martial, an extrajudicial, unconstitutional trial was held um, by members of the federal government, and that included the CIA who organized it, the FBI who participated in the cover-up and the uh, sanitation of a very, very dirty murder scene. So with that, I'm going to tell you that the operation was called Operation Zipper. The file was written up by Robert Trumbull Crowley, director of clandestine operations. In 1999, as he was about to die, he took his files, he gave them to another CIA operative named Gordon Ferry. Gordon Ferry shared those with an author named Gregory Douglas who wrote a book called Regicide that came out in 2002. The After Action Report, November, December 22, 1963, was a meeting that was attended Director of Central Intelligence John McCone, James Jesus Angleton, Robert Crowley, whom I've mentioned, Director of clandestine Operations. William Harvey, who was in charge of assassinations in Europe, the deputy director of the FBI, William Sullivan, and Lieutenant Colonel Cass of the United States Marine Corps, who was representing the Department of Defense and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I'm going to go on now and uh, read to you what they said, Statement of Policy. Before I go on, I have to thank Barbara Honegger. This has been a team effort. Barbara Honegger was contacted by a former Virginia State Trooper, former U.S. Marine Corps Major, Jim Scott, helicopter pilot, who brought this to her attention and she put me in contact with Jim Scott. Jim Scott put me in contact With the assassin, one of the assassins, there were many layers, overlays of assassins, but the man who shot President Kennedy from the grassy knoll and uh, put the fatal shot in his head was a man named James Files. James Files had been uh, recruited. He actually enlisted in the United States Army at the age of 17 and went into the 82nd Airborne Division. From there, he was sheep dipped. That means when you take a white sheep and dip him in black ink and turn him black, black operative, and he was sent to Laos uh, for the covert war that was being conducted there between 1959 mm-hmm. and before it became open that we were engaged in Vietnam. So he was also a contract killer for the mafia, Chicago mafia, under Sam Giancana. The people have to understand that in 1959, the CIA married the mafia. Their common interest was in killing Fidel Castro. The mafia's interest was in getting back their holdings in Cuba. I've seen pictures of the hotels that the mafia had in Cuba, and they rival anything you see in Las Vegas today. When Castro took power, he ousted every member of the mafia and he told them you've got three days to get out and all you can take with you is a suitcase of your clothes and you will be inspected as you leave by Cuban customs. So the hoard of the riches that um, the mafia had accrued in Cuba had to be left behind. I call it the treasure, the real treasure of Sierra Madre, which is the name of mountain range over there in Cuba. So they had to leave all of that behind. They wanted it back. So the CIA engaged the mafia in a plot to kill Castro. On September 26th of 1959, with the blessing of the deputy director of the CIA, Richard Helms, a certain uh, group of uh, representatives, including Sheffield Edwards, met with Johnny Roselli and Santos Traficanti in Miami and they paid them $25,000 to begin the the plan to assassinate Castro. Coincidentally three days later Jack Ruby left uh, uh, the United States and went to Cuba. So Jack Ruby was also an intermediary in this plot to kill Castro. When President Kennedy blocked the use of US air power to support the Bay of Pigs operation. The Bay of Pigs operation failed. That was a CIA plot. That was a plot called Operation Zapata, and it was headed by George H.W. Bush. So President Kennedy said, no, we're not going to involve US military activity in overthrowing the government of Cuba. How would we look to the rest of the world? Make a long story short, he blocked the invasion, and in blocking the invasion of Cuba, he stopped, he forestalled the nuclear war with Russia, because the CIA thought, oh yeah, we can jump in there, we can take it over before Khrushchev has, uh, you know, has um, time to give the order to use nuclear weapons. By then, it'll be a fait accompli. But what he didn't realize is that Khrushchev was a lot smarter than they were. And he had delegated the use of nuclear weapons to his on-field commander in Cuba. And he told him, if the Americans try to land in Cuba, use the tactical nuclear weapon and destroy the Seventh Fleet. So that would have led to total nuclear holocaust. President Kennedy stopped that. So that will explain to you why they... The Department of Defense, the Deep State, and um, the Secretary, State Department and uh, the military-industrial complex was livid. And this will explain to you this report that I'm going to give you now. Okay. Okay. It says, statement of policy. The removal of the president and the attorney general from their positions because of high treason has been determined. Two. By their contacts with top-level intelligence officials of the Soviet Union and the subsequent release by the President and the Attorney General of the highest level security material to a government that stands in direct opposition to the United States, these individuals cannot be permitted to occupy their official positions. By treating with the enemy on the Cuban issue and actively blocking legitimate military actions against a Soviet-Cuban armed enemy in close proximity To the United States, these individuals have endangered the people of the United States and permitted enemies of this country to actively place atomic weapons within
0: the reach of. Sorry, I'm here. That didn't work. Uh, Did I lose you, Stephen? Uh, Robert. Robert. Oh, uh, gosh.
1: Okay. The various concerned official agencies. I did. Point seven. This operation, codenamed Zipper, was under the direction of James Jesus Angleton of the agency, assisted by Robert Crowley and William Harvey, also of the agency. Point number eight. The government departments directly concerned consisted of the Central Intelligence Agency, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Other government agencies involved, but without specific knowledge, were the U.S. Department of the Treasury, Secret Service Division, the National Security Agency, the Naval Security Group, Inter-ARMCO, the U.S. Department of State, Passport Division. Following the removal of the president, the new president, who had been fully briefed prior to the act, agreed in the interest of national concerns to appoint a special commission chaired by the Chief Justice for the purpose of setting public concerns to rest. Mr. Angelson was in complete control of all evidence presented to this committee and worked closely in conjunction with Mr. Sullivan of the FBI to ensure that nothing was brought before the committee that it did not want to acknowledge. As both the Vice President and the Director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation had been slated for replacement by the Kennedy faction, their support for this project was practically guaranteed from the outset. Point number 12, the Vice President came to believe that an attempt would be made on his life at the same time and was greatly concerned for his own safety. Thirteen, as the vice president and the director of the FBI were longtime neighbors and very friendly, the director has repeatedly assured the president that he was not a target. We go on. He was not a target and no bullets, no shots were fired at him in Dallas. The President has been reassured but is still considered very leery of any possible such actions being taken against himself or members of his personal family. One of the primary goals of Zipper, the removal of the Attorney General, has been discussed repeatedly with the President by the DCI, that's the Director of Central Intelligence, and the President has agreed to gradually force him out of his position. He has stated, however, that the popularity of the Attorney General is such that this removal must be performed with care. Point 16, Representative Gerald Ford, Republican of Michigan, a member of the commission, is working closely with with Director Hoover and reports all incoming information directly to him. Point 17, full cooperation with friendly media sources has ensured that the public attention has been drawn to Oswald as the sole killer. The President feels strongly that any attempt to portray Oswald as a tool of the Soviets is liable to create too high a level of international tension, which the President feels might lead to direct confrontation with the Soviet Union. The President is not receptive to plans of the Joint Chiefs of Staff supporting entirely supported entirely by the agency to eradicate Castro and his Marxist government from Cuba. The president states that war almost occurred as a result of the last military attempt to dislodge the Cuban dictator, and he does not wish to replay that aspect of the enforcement of the Monroe Doctrine. The president, meaning Johnson, has indicated, however, that an escalation of U.S. military involvement in French Indochina is not unreasonable. Reports given to him by the agency, as well as the Joint Chiefs of Staff on this subject, have been well received. The President's aide Jenkins, that's Walter Jenkins, also has also supported this idea, and the Secretary of Defense has come down strongly in favor of it. Secretary of Defense at that time was Robert McNamara. The President believes that his occupancy of the White House is due to the death of his predecessor and has a desperate desire to achieve a degree of legitimacy. He has been advised that a wartime president is always assured of re-election, for example, Wilson and Roosevelt, but only in the event that the war is prosecuted with vigor and has attendant military success. On a related topic, the French president de Gaulle, while in Washington for the late president's funeral, held several conferences with the new president, as well as other officials, to include the agency. The general stated several times, with some asperity, that he had been the object of a number of assassination attempts in the past, some going back to the war, and that he has grown tired of them. He stated that the OAS attempted to shoot him or bomb him had had been known to members of the agency who had, in at least one case, assisted the OAS assassins. The general, meaning De Gaulle, also stated that he was aware through French intelligence reports that the assassins of the president were French citizens. Because it is viewed as a vital, vital interest that French the French become involved in NATO and to assuage the concerns of the general guarantees were given both by the president and the director of central intelligence that no further actions would be undertaken that could result in an assassination and further that the United States would actively support French commercial interests in French Indochina in return for French cooperation with NATO the French president agreed to this, but made several oblique threats to the president about his reactions in the event of further agency meddling in French domestic, domestic and foreign policy. The general was reassured repeatedly on these points and is now apparently in agreement with the United States, aims in Southeast Asia. He made several remarks about the trade in opium to that area being extremely lucrative and stated that he had his own problems with narcotics, traffic in the Mediterranean area. Point 29, it is not believed an electronic surveillance of the president's lines of communication while in the United States does not support the possibility that he might have actual knowledge, actual knowledge of any American involvement or projected involvement in this sensitive area. And it says handwritten in there, Golden Triangle, which was the source of most of the heroin going to the West at that time. Point 30. Both the CIA agency and the president feel that the French president has fired a shot across our bow, but that these issues have now become resolved. The president, Johnson, feels, however, that the French will have to be watched carefully in future, and that if American interests become established in french Indochina, we had best consider our own interests at that time. Point 31, in the matter of the Soviet Union, it is evident that they were initially concerned that the removal of Kennedy might be laid at their doorstep. As this was certainly one of the objectives of the agency as well as the Joint Chiefs of Staff, it has been necessary to repeatedly reassure their leadership that there would be no such intimations in the future, and that, in addition, there would be no further attempts to execute any military or overt clandestine operations against either Cuba or its leader, Castro. Point 32. In the matter of the public perception of the Dallas action, extensive use has been made of agency connections with major American media organs, for example, the New York Times and the Washington Post. The Times is strongly supporting the Commission and its findings, and we are assured that they will continue to do so. The same attitude has been clearly and strongly expressed by the Post. I will stop there. But, folks, I'm saying is, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's also the motto of the CIA. And this truth will also set free the CIA. Back
0: to you. Okay, Robert. I've been...
1: Uh,
0: I'm hearing an echo of myself. I, I've been trying to raise um, Stephen, and uh, he said to call him in 10 minutes, and that was, that was like 20 minutes ago. And uh, he hasn't picked up, and I called... Well,
1: let's get another shot after the break.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, because we're right there at the break. Yeah two and a half minutes you know,
1: by the way if Stephen doesn't show up I hope Barbara Honecker is listening and perhaps she can call in because I saw her on uh, another program today and she she is an integral part of, of this team exposing the role of the deep state in rigging presidential elections since 1963
0: so back to you Keith. Okay. All right. Um, We're going to go into break here. Um, I've been in text contact with uh, Stephen, and he was trying to get to a location where he had a a good signal, but something seems to be going wrong at this moment. So I'm going to take us into the break. Are you listening to The Other Side of Midnight? Uh, Right now, my guest is... Robert Morningstar. Stephen Bassett is in the wings. Hopefully we'll get him on. And we're talking about the the major thing that Congress has done and said, told all of the uh, military industrial complex corporations, show us your wares and anything that deals with our ET and high tech technology that we are not privy to.
2: Thank you.
3: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
0: Welcome back to the other side of midnight. I was really hoping that Richard would have got his power back by now and uh we would have had him on, but um no such luck and Stephen seems to be lost in the wind. Um hopefully he'll get to a location where his cell connection is much better and then I can uh, bring him on. because we're we're halfway through the show. Um Robert's been giving us a lot of information uh, mainly on a lot of the political stuff that was going on with assassinations and all kinds of things that go on behind the scenes that we just aren't privy to. And I used to see stuff like that all the time at ABC where technologies from guys who could have got us off oil, they always went to the local affiliate in their hometown, but it never went national. And I mean, if it doesn't go national, the only people that hear about it is in your hometown and you've gone nowhere. Anyway, let me bring Robert back. Um, We're still talking about uh, this military industrial complex and their whole uh, their whole thing with the uh, secondary government that they've been running without government oversight and constitutional oversight and they've got technology that could have got us off of oil as well so Robert um, yeah. bringing you back okay what do you think what do you think we're going to have happen And now that the Congress has switched the light on and pushing the ball down the road to try to get these guys to release this information yeah.
1: well I think The word that came to my mind is gangbusters, right? Gangbusters. Like they used to talk in the 30s about busting the mob. And that's what it is. And I think that we should all memorize this new acronym that Dr. Stephen Greer uh, coined at the last uh, Disclosure uh, Conference on June 10th at the National Press Club where historic things happen. And it's... I... ISG illegitimate secret government, the ISG, has to be not only exposed, it has to be destroyed. As I said before, this entity, this unconstitutional uh, extrajudicial uh, mob, has to be eliminated they have become the greatest threat to the American people and to the world. They've been manipulating world affairs and directing mankind toward the end of humanity. This was a warning that I received on the night that Ronald Reagan was shot. I have told the story about a near-death experience where I was warned that Lucifer was leading mankind to self destruction, annihilation, and we have, to, we have to acknowledge that these are spiritual forces. Now, earlier in the program, you talked about a certain group of extraterrestrials that was protecting mankind. I agree with you, but we have to ask the question, since time immemorial, protecting mankind against what or against whom? And that is, the answer is, a rival extraterrestrial presence that does not have the best interests of mankind. And I wouldn't say at heart because they have no heart. They are alien. They despise mankind. They want the earth without human beings on it. And for that reason, this benign, magnificent, uh, angelic extraterrestrial race has been protecting mankind from exposure. Keith, if we go back, we go back to Egyptian mythology, if they want to call it, you know, they call it mythology, but it was history to them. Do you remember that after the assassination of Osiris, that Seth and Typhon took over and that they were consuming mankind? They were eating human beings. The Typhon, Typhon is a crocodile headed God, which represents the reptilians and Seth is the the basis of the evil one. So Set and Satan can be equated. And it was only because ISIS preserved Horus, raised him in secret, until manhood, that he could come forth and do battle against Seth and defeat him and, re- and reestablish order and protect humanity. So I think we face the same problem even today.
0: What I, do you think? I... I saw a relief um, from China and on that relief, there was these guys that were sitting at a table. They looked humanoid. And then as you go down, there is a, like you said, it looked like a alligator head, humanoid body. Um, and he was stabbing a small human that was kneeling in front of them with a, with a spear. And then to the right of that was this other humanoid entity, but it looked grotesque in terms of the face. And it was rolling this big stone wheel over top of a small, a body of a humanoid, a human. And, and then in the upper right-hand corner, there was this entity that had a head that looked like a hippopotamus, and it was it was throwing a human body into a pot. So that whole thing about, you know, they were eating us or whatever, yeah, I think that's what was going on. Um, I, you know, we can't prove any of this, but I... Yeah, we have to be leery of some of these things because... It
1: makes, makes a lot of sense to me. It, you know, these, these stories of demonic entities, anti-human entities uh, abound through Asia, through China, Japan, and India. But I'm glad you mentioned China because, folks, today I am celebrating my 50th anniversary in Tai Chi. And Tai Chi is intimately connected with this history I'd like to relate to you the origins of Tai Chi. The first written record of Tai Chi was traditionally during the Song Dynasty around 1100. But in 1979, I discovered a history, the Tang history of uh, the last emperor of the Tang Dynasty and I came across a remarkable story. It's, it's not a story. He ordered the emperor, Xuanzong ordered that this be recorded in official Tang dynasty history. Xuanzong, whose name means a mysterious ancestor, emperor of China in the capital city of Xi'an, said that he was walking the ramparts of the castle in Xi'an and that a moon ship came down and landed on the ramparts and that the moon people came out and invited him to go to Peng Lai Shan or the Chinese heaven or paradise and the emperor accepted. He said that the, he entered the moonship, and it took off and flew him over the walls where he could see the 10th city that had grown around the capital. He could see people engaged in commerce, doing business, uh, herding animals, wrestling, practicing kung fu, setting fires for the night. And he went off to the moon, where he was entertained by beautiful fairies dancing in resplendent rainbow-colored garments. And he heard celestial movie, music, beautiful celestial music that was... Um, Accompanied by this beautiful dance that he saw the fairies dancing. So that the next day, they brought him back. And then they brought him back in the early morning. And he describes flying in over the landscape and arriving at the castle and seeing the burnt out fires uh, of, the, of the night. He saw the animals, the uh, cows and the sheep uh, waking up and mewing and being herded. He saw people arising and starting to get on with the, uh, the labors of the day. And then they settled on the rampart and he disembarked. The moon ship closed its door and it took off. And the emperor, in his great excitement, He called his favorite wife, his favorite concubine, the princess Fei, and he said to her, come, I want you to learn this dance before I forget it. The moon people showed me a dance, and I want you to learn it, and we're going to practice it. And it was called rainbow dancing. It was a very, um, very intricate, fast-moving spin dance. Then he said, I'm going to write down the music before I forget it. So this rainbow dancing became the vogue in the Tang Dynasty court. And people started to practice it. And it involved continuous rotary motion, perpetual motion, learning how to spin while doing this dance with very ornate and beautiful and graceful arm movements, that were recorded in the Chinese poem. And this is how I discovered it. I started studying Chinese 50 years ago, 1973. And I'll tell you folks, when you love what you're doing, it is very easy. And I had learned Spanish, French, Latin, of course, English. And when I got into Chinese, it was the easiest language that I ever, I ever learned. I also loved Chinese writing and Chinese characters, but not the modern simplified characters, the ancient Chinese characters. And having that as the foundation, by 1979 and 80, I had uh, enough understanding of Chinese characters to be able to read a Chinese poem from the Tang Dynasty, written in old Chinese characters. And I saw that the characters recorded the movements. But in Chinese, they don't draw a picture of the sound as we do when we write a word in English. We actually draw a picture of the sound and we translate the sound into the idea. In Chinese, they draw a picture of the object. For a horse, they'll draw a long spine with four legs and the mane of the horse, and then it's, it's stylized. over the years they've been squared off but I was able to find inside that poem embedded in the poem certain names and references which related that dance to what is called Tai Chi Chuan today. So this vogue led ultimately, I won't go into the details but it led to a split in the Chinese Tang Dynasty court which led to a revolution and led to a civil war that lasted seven years. And Stephen Bassett is with us. That's really great. So the um, the upshot is that Tai Chi Tuan, I remember the first time I met a Tai Chi master and he demonstrated the form to me. And I said to myself, my God, that looks like it came from outer space. That was my first impression. Of it. And lo and behold, Seven years, eight years later after practicing for that amount of time, I found out that that is precisely where it came. It was a download, download from celestial beings to humanity in order to help us find our balance, find our true identity and find our centers. And I am celebrating 50 years of that uh, practice And I'm happy to share that with you and it is what has led me to tonight and I've taken advantage of uh, this uh, opportunity to bring to you the truth about UFOs, the truth of the purpose of UFOs in human affairs, but most importantly the role of UFOs in the assassination of President Kennedy and the steering of our country onto the wrong track of history. We now have an opportunity to steer the nation back onto the right track of history, and all of us are working together, because the only thing that can get us back onto the right track of history is the truth. And with that, I'm going to say welcome, Stephen Bassett, and uh, turn it back over to Keith.
0: Thank you. Uh, Steve, it's hard to get a hold of you. Yes, Keith. Yeah, I know you're busy.
5: Yeah, I I uh, had some trouble uh, uh, this weekend, but uh, I'm with you until the end of the show. What do you want to know?
0: Okay. We've been discussing uh, um, the whole thing with Congress demanding from the military-industrial complex, the contractors mainly, to release any information Uh and technology they have related to ETs. Um, How much have you been following that? dilemma? Completely. Okay. Can you, can you tell us from your perspective, what's going on? It's, are we finally getting uh-huh. information like we should?
5: Oh, we're getting more information than we can handle. It's like a fire hose. Um, here's how I could best describe it. There are thousands and thousands of people. and I just may shock Some of your listeners, but if they think about it long enough, they'll probably not be shocked. There are thousands and thousands of people throughout our government, in Congress, obviously at the Department of Defense, in the intelligence communities, in civilian programs, in the military, thousands who have touched this issue in one way or another formally. There are thousands more that know about it. They may not be involved in a particular program or dealing with it directly, but they know about it. They may even know a good deal about it right? because they either have a clearance or somebody's told them. And so when the government made the decision that it was time to manage its way out of the truth embargo, that it was time for that to end, its shelf life was long overdue. Um, It wasn't going to be easy. And I don't think that what's happening now is surprising them. But as they loosened up the wrappings on the package, as they started making easier for witnesses to come forward, as they passed legislation, as the media jumped on this issue, of course, like it never has before, as the stigma virtually collapsed, um, and UAP and, and other language helped that happen because it made it easier for journalists and politicians to speak to the issue. The stigma now collapsed so far that UFO is back and people are now saying UFO, 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 and it's not a problem. In other words, the stigma is gone. You want to say UFO? Say UFO. No problem. You believe in UFOs? Yeah, I do. Hey, that's right. And so what, what, what they're having to deal with now is they're essentially herding cats. Thousands of cats, and it's it's a mess, and there was probably no way it wasn't going to be a mess. And, and the one thing that will, uh, how would you say, save them from too much pain and suffering is to get it done. I mean, Mark Warner needs to bring about 12 witnesses up to the Hill before the Senate Intel Committee to testify about what they know on this issue and their personal experience. We know the witnesses that they're going to be there. And I assure you, when they testify under oath, being watched by hundreds of millions of people from around the world, it's ball game. It's over. Two weeks of that, it's over. And by that, I mean the president will be in a very comfortable position to simply confirm the ET presence without, a, without too much politicization and without looking to uh you know too too silly i mean he's he can't come out and say anything himself it it needs to be brought to him he needs to be able to respond to it along with the public that's what they need to do and they better hurry up now the latest and, and to put this in perspective there's been four pieces of legislation starting in 2020 marco rubio put the first language in the ndaa bill of 2020 2021 ndaa bill which is passed and signed in 2020 as part of an omnibus covid bill and it called for uap task force and some other things and a nice report in june and so forth and got the ball rolling then the next year Gillibrand put substantial new language in the 2022 ndaa which set up more structure switched things out of the UAP task force into another entity which ultimately became known as Arrow but initially had other names and got and asked for more reports and they were getting classified reports. And then in the third year, Mark Warner sponsors another round of legislation in the twenty twenty three NDAA. And this legislation really gets interesting. It it has all kinds of requirements. And uh, structure and is calling for funding, and it's like, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 pages long. But it's notable that this legislation that Warner put up on the Senate site had two paragraphs which were stunning. One paragraph said clearly that anybody within the chains of command and the chains of classified privilege who comes forward with the information – and receives any kind of blowback, problems, abuse, or anything else from anybody within government, they are violating the law and the Senate Intel Committee will deal with them. Whoa. He just lowered the bar substantially for witnesses to comfortably comfortably come forward internally. And then the next paragraph said, if that should happen to you, I'm paraphrasing, whoever that person is, you're commander, some staffer at the Senate Intel Committee, you can sue them. And not only can you sue them, you can sue the government department that they work in. And when I read that paragraph, you could have picked me right off the floor, because I know the government goes to great lengths to ensure that nobody can sue the government. And yet there it was right there in that bill. Now, Not surprisingly, that language was taken out during the reconciliation with the House version and did not make it – was not signed by the president. But that doesn't matter because that language was sitting up on the Senate uh, website, that language for months for people throughout the government to read it. Even if you're in the deepest USAP program, 50 floors underneath Area 51, if you can go online, you could have read that bill, and you could have realized, oh, my God, they're really serious about this. And so he sent a clear message. And so we waited another year, not another year, about six months, and then the 2024 bill gets put together. And we're back to Gillibrand again, but with several other senators attached. And so – This bill is – goes up on the Senate site, 2503, Senate 2503, on June the 14th. Now, that's interesting for a very significant reason, because on June the 5th, an article hit the web from the very solid independent news entity called the Debrief, Micah Hanks, Tim McMillan, and others – in which an insider who was working for the UAP task force but had since quit, essentially came forward as a whistleblower and simultaneously gave an interview to Nation and, uh Nation and a correspondent working with them named Ross Coulthart. And what we learned from what this gentleman had to say, David Grush, is that while he was working for the UAPT task force, the one that was set up under Rubio's bill – the one that was designed to deal with this issue and bring information to the intel committee and so forth, guess what? Some people inside working on some of these classified programs, possibly even unacknowledged special access programs, contacted him to give him information. Now, this is before the witness protection stuff turned up in in, uh, um, uh, Warner's bill, but nevertheless, they contacted him two years ago. And so David Grush is a righteous guy, and he – when he learned that, when he learned from these individuals secondhand that, oh, yeah, the U.S. has a number of crashed non-human vehicles. The U.S. has dead bodies of non-humans. He felt that, my Lord, this has got forward to the appropriate committees, and so he did. He reported it. And and he started getting real problems. He then went to the IG for the the DOD. Ultimately, he goes to the IG, the Inspector General Office of the Intelligence Community, with a formal complaint that he is being harassed. And again, this is before Warner's language turns up in that that bill, that 2023 bill. And and they they acknowledge that he had a legitimate concern, that he is who he was, that he was. And then they would give him the relief to the best that they could. And so he goes back, and he reports it, I think, again to one of the committees, possibly a House committee, not sure. But he continues to be harassed, maybe not from within his offices, but from wherever. I mean, people can, somebody can be in the office next to you and can harass you by sending threatening uh, emails to you from a spoof account. They can send you letters, whatever. He was, he was very unhappy. And he made the decision that because he felt this policy was illegal, his decision, his choice, and that the public should know that he was going to come out as a whistleblower revealing information regarding a policy that he viewed as being illegal and against the law, which, in fact, definitely made him blower. There, He is the only whistleblower that is self-identified, I believe, at this point – The others are witnesses, and there's a difference. And so Grush comes forward. Now, they knew that we're we're about Grush. The intel, the DOD, the inspector general of the uh, the intelligence community knew about Grush, knew what his story was, knew that he'd been trying to get it out well before he came forward. And so they knew that he was going to come forward about non-human technology and bodies.
0: Steve… And so um, Steve, yeah. can you hold that thought because uh, we're at the top of the yeah. hour. So we'll be right back. Sure. Um, sure. We got Steve Bassett here and you're listening to the other side of midnight uh, and it's getting good now.
4: InsideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Search the archives. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com
3: TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month. 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel, or as an environment for your endeavors. 8 cents an episode, 2.5 cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
0: back to the other side of midnight let's get back to steven because he was making some great points here hey steve you're up all right keith okay
5: okay so i i invite your audience to try to follow this now and get a glimpse just one of many moves that are taking place in this three-dimensional chess game uh, which is not easy to follow but it sort of makes sense, though not always. Anyway, okay, so, as I was pointing out, throughout, in, in the House and in the Senate and, and elsewhere in the DOD, the intelligence community, they knew what Grush had been told. They knew that he had quit the task force, and they knew that he, would, at some point, might come forward. They knew this. And so, when he comes forward, on June the 5th, all right, the first thing that you need to uh, note is that they didn't stop him. No, they didn't. They let him come forward and say what he had to say. Okay. And then, all right, nine days later, on June the 14th, is when the final language of the new Senate bill – Was released Nine days after Grush comes forward On News Nation And guess what's in it What is in that bill Is language Which says That it goes beyond The original, the previous bill About well if you come forward with testimony And what have you uh, uh, About this or that You are protected And so forth This bill says if you have physical materials related to this phenomenon, which I suppose could include a friggin' full saucer, okay, you can come forward with those. You can provide those to the Senate or to whatever else entity within the chain of command is appropriate. You can bring that material to them, to us. Then it goes further and says that includes materials UAP related in the hands of civilian entities. Read Lockheed Martin, the entity probably most connected with developing and working with non-human technology. They included that. So if you're a civilian that was retired or something and you had some materials that you had you still kept legally or otherwise, you could bring those forward, you would be okay. My God. And then they go further than that. They say in two months from the signing of the bill, this would be about February, we want to report from all the appropriate entities of what materials related to UAP phenomena you have. And six months after the bill is passed, we want you to deliver them to us. I can't even begin to tell you how significant that is and what it would mean if if, if such materials were to be brought forward. Uh, But that is what is in that bill. And so essentially they completely backed up what Grush was saying and put it into language, which may or may not be in the next – bill signed this December for the National Appropri- Defense Appropriations Act of 2024. That is how far this thing has gone. And so now they're not only just hurting people and agencies and programs, they're hurting material. My lord, uh, it's going to be wild and crazy. Now let me, let me uh, close this with this point. Don't fixate on these time schedules and things that they put out there. That's all infrastructure. It's all scaffolding. As I like to say, they have to put a time frame in. we want to report in such and such a time. Then six months later, deliver materials. Don't, don't even think that far out. All right. That has to be there as part of this process and the proper legislation. Well, before that happens, the Senate hearings are going to take place. And when they do, we're going to be in the post-disclosure world well before either of those deadlines have been achieved. Now, some people may be confused by that. If disclosure is coming on fast, if in fact we're going to have hearings that will open this thing up, why bother to put legislation and have dates like that? Because what they are doing is more of a public relations process, a management process where they are managing their way out of this issue and trying to do it in a way that looks appropriate, satisfies the public's desire for truth, and makes them look as good as possible when the really tough questions come. And so that is what is happening now. Uh, now, what, uh, Mark Warner has now said that there's going to be a hearing in the... House, Senate Intel, Comer in the House has said there's going to be hearing in the Oversight Committee, fat chance. And there's a couple of others that are talking about hearings. In other words, right now, we have committees in Congress competing to see who can have the first hearing on this subject. If that isn't enough to get people's attention, I don't know what is. We are in the last days of the truth embargo, Keith.
0: Um. I like that. Um, Robert brought up a point earlier where, when you weren't here. He was talking about um, they had they had been given an ultimatum by the E.T.s that uh, they need to let our their people know us that they existed. And when that deadline came and went, uh, nothing was done. So they started doing their thing, which was they were going to tell us, uh, and it seems like that's what they've been doing with the appearances and so forth. Uh, and I think it's they've got our attention. It's just um, how how deep does this rabbit hole go when it comes down to these guys manipulating everything behind the scenes? Um, they've been doing well, this for quite a while. When it
5: comes to e- so, uh, when it comes to ETs and what they may be saying To the government or not That's outside my strike zone Uh, I don't know about that I don't follow that Uh, So I can't speak to that Keith Uh, I'm pretty much focused just on What our government is doing And so forth And and, and the implications of that Uh, So But what, what the government is doing Is more than enough The truth embargo is literally Unraveling before our eyes and I know a lot of people are wary of that because it has taken so long, 77 years, six years. I get it. But nothing lasts forever. That this truth embargo has lasted as long as it has is a miracle, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh But they pulled it off. But now, and, and because of the nature of it and how much is known about this issue and how much work has been done, by countless researchers like Richard Richard, and, and Richard Dolan and, and, and on and on and on. Stephen and the Greer. documentaries and the books mm-hmm. and the websites and Stephen Greer, all of this for decades and decades. <laughs> that, that it has managed to make it to 2023 is amazing. But it's over. And so now it's a question of can we get this done in a dignified way? Can we, as people, as a, as a public be gracious in in allowing the government to do this without getting too worked up, accept, you know, victory. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then after we've gotten the confirmation and and we are living in the post-disclosure world, we can start addressing the history. We can address the truth embargo. But frankly, and I'm sure this is true of the entire millennial generation and their children, they don't care about the history of this. They don't care that the government kept it embargoed for 60 years. All they care about is what's next. And so they're not going to have a lot of patience with old fogies like me or of my age getting all pissy about, well, they lied. They did this. And they did that. We need to sue them or there needs to be some sort of accountability and yada, yada. They're not going to care. I believe that there needs to be accountability. We may need an amnesty program, we might need a truth and reconciliation program, but we need to mostly focus on what are we going to do about our country and our planet in the post-disclosure world? Are we going to start making some serious changes based upon a new perspective, or are we going to keep things going as they are, which is essentially taking the entire human race to hell in a handbasket?
0: Yeah. I was watching, uh, I watched Stephen Greer's uh, press conference um, uh-huh. and I was impressed by the um, the people he presented and the ones that were going through what they've been through and being able to talk freely like that. Um, and most people wouldn't have accepted what they were saying back in the day, but now that uh, the aerial phenomena has been in, plain view and the media stopped laughing at the whole darn thing. Um, what they had to say uh, that really struck home and it was kind of emotional for some of them because, you know, they were in situations where they couldn't understand what was really going on, but they were following sure. orders and doing what they're supposed to do because they were in the military but they couldn't talk about it. And I remember Robert Jacobs and him telling the story about the, the telescope or the long lens that they took up into the mountain to um watch the the launch of a a dummy warhead and craft flew into the frame yeah. and took it out with a beam and it was moving at the same rate of speed but it was zipping around like it was nothing. And people didn't believe what Robert was saying, but he was telling the truth and people just kind of ignored it and brushed it off. Now we've got enough stuff uh, that is just so fantastic. Uh, As long as the media actually looks at it and sticks with it and and doesn't go back to their old ways of trying to poo-poo stuff, we shouldn't have a problem. And now the Congress is that's
5: not the media is yeah, go ahead.
0: Now the Congress is pushing this whole thing. That should give them even more that should give them more of a push towards getting this out there and making it more public. Because uh, they kinda said, Yeah, there's UAPs but uh, we're not gonna really touch this like we really should be touching it. They hit it every now and then but it should be more of something that's in the foreground. It should be something that people should be completely aware of because I talk to people and I ask them, do you, do you know about this? Or do you, have you heard about that? And then, no, no. And they just, I, I I don't understand why it isn't making a bigger impact than what it is right now. But most people are in the Keith, dark.
5: The media media is all over this, Keith. But okay. if
0: you want
5: to, People, people – they're not – the Washington Post or these – the ABC News is not going to come to your house and sit down in your living room and explain this stuff. They're covering it. People don't have a lot of time to watch news. And the the, the news – cable news channels are fixated on politics right now. But if you go to my website, paradigmresearchgroup.org, and you go to resources and you go down to the print media archive and punch on through to the main archive. There's 13,000 articles there. I can't load them fast enough. There have been several thousand articles just in the last couple of years, and now they're, they're coming out by the hundreds. This, this, they are all over this issue. Now, we're waiting for the New York Times and the Washington Post to make their next move, which they're going to do, but they're going to try to get something really special. They're, they're, I'm sure they're going to bet this heavily, but it's only a matter of time. They're going to they're going to punch in on Grush, but plenty of other media is all over this. They're all over everything, and so again, the media is putting enormous pressure on the government. So, in, in order to understand that, you got to go read the articles. Go mm-hmm. read the last five hundred articles on this issue, and then you'll understand the degree of the media coverage. All right, and so, uh, and in terms of the witnesses, let me tell you my guess as to. The, 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 the first dozen witnesses that will testify before the Senate Intel Committee under oath, they, I think it's very possible that all of them have already been interviewed by Arrow and possibly even interviewed by the Intel Committee staff, which is necessary and required. One, you're going to have three or four or five witnesses to a shutting down of our nuclear weapons. On multiple occasions, and possibly David J. uh, Robert Jacobs will be there as well to talk about the interference with the dummy missile launch, which is a very well-known case, uh, and he might be there as well. In addition, there are going to be a number of pilots who have had extremely strong encounters doing intercepts, right? Mm -hmm. And it's very possible they could have any number of gun camera footage videos. And I don't mean 10 seconds. They could have 10 or 20, five, 10 minute uh, clips. They could have as many as the DOD, as they want from the DOD. So you're looking at gun camera footage, very likely much more powerful than the three that were released back in 2017. And then Grush is going to testify. And there is indications it's not precisely clear yet, but there are indications that they have interviewed the individuals who gave the first-hand information to Grush regarding our acquisition of unmanned – I'm not unmanned, but rather non-human technology, either piloted or controlled. Imagine that, all right? We're not talking about second-hand these, these are the individuals that were in the program working on these. Now, that's, that's my guess for how strong the initial hearing could be. They're not going to fool around. They're not going to bring up a couple of outside witnesses or nothing particularly strong. They're, they're, they're going to bring up the best, most solid stuff they can put. Otherwise, they're going to make a fool of the Congress. They're going to make a fool of the American people. And so just imagine if if 12 witnesses like that and a bunch of gun camera footage is run for the world's people at a Senate Intel Committee and and ask yourself how many days will it take before the president of the United States has no choice and willingly acknowledges the confirmation of this evidence and confirms the extraterrestrial presence. That's my call. And it should happen within the next month or so. They should not wait Every week they wait, this thing is going to get more difficult and more awkward uh, as more people come out. God knows who's going to turn up next. I assure you there's, there's a lot of David Grushes out there, mm-hmm. and the message is getting out to them. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to come forward as a witness. It's okay to be a whistleblower. You think it's illegal? Fine. Come on out. You're covered. So what do you think is going to happen?
0: It's got to come out. Well, I, that The whole story with Robert Jacobs, when he told his story, I was looking at that, and I'm going, why would they take out a dummy warhead? I don't think it was a dummy warhead. It probably had a live warhead on it um, at one no, point. No,
5: no, 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 no. It was, a, it was a dummy warhead. He was fully involved in that program. He knew exactly what it was. was well, a dummy warhead. Why would they do that? To send a message, Keith. Why do you think they turned the nuclear weapons off? Because they didn't have anything to do on a Saturday night. Yeah, but right to show
0: off. So they were sending a a message by taking out a dummy warhead. But what if it was a a, what if it was a live warhead? And that's why they took it out because these guys were going to nuke the moon or something stupid. Because I I heard that rumor. What if you
5: know? What if it was a jelly donut? The point is, is that Jacobs was involved in the program. It was a dummy warhead. Besides, they don't they don't, test, they don't test launch they don't do test launch of missiles with actual warheads on them. I, no, Keith, please, it's a dummy warhead. They knocked it off. There was no risk to anybody. Well, unless the thing fell on somebody's house, I suppose that could have been awkward. Uh, it was a remar- one of the most remarkable stories. Now, it may have happened more than once. We just happened to. David to, to, Jacobs made the decision to come forward. And he was a rather impeccable witness. Professor, University. But uh, let me also mention this. Jacobs made it quite clear. They have this full film of it. That film was taken by men in suits, and they were told, don't ever speak of this. What would happen if Jacobs were to testify before the intel committee and they showed that film? Mm -hmm. In other words, they have the ability right now to make history, set the world on fire, become legends— right, Mm -hmm. also set the president up for one of the greatest political legacies of all time. So admittedly, this is a nonpartisan issue, but as it happens, the intel committee is Republican-run, though it's pretty much co-run, but it is, it has a Republican chair, and the effect of that hearing would virtually lay the disclosure legacy in President Biden's lap. I, I, I'm not saying that even President Biden did much to get it. I think Biden has known about the E.T. presence for 20, 30 years. The point is is that, is that he, he, he wasn't able to take action on it, but about the transpire will allow him to be the, the, the president who, who got the, gets the last chair when the music stops, the music being the truth embargo. But he could have been Trump. And if this thing somehow drags on, it might be the next president, but let's hope to God it doesn't drag on. It needs to get done this year, this summer, or things are going to get even dumber and stupider, and it's going to be more confusing, and the people are going to get angry. In other words, the longer they delay, they're literally undermining all the goodwill and public relations that they've been creating by all this legislation and speaking out and so forth. But then if they piss around, they're just going to be saying to the people once more, well, yeah, we told you something, but don't press this. Mm-hmm. We'll tell you when we damn well feel feel right. No, 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 no. You, you, they have the opportunity to strike now, and and get the maximum public benefit, public support, and historical legacy. And so, if, if I, I'm 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 going to be back in Washington in a, in a in less than probably about a week. I'm back with an office in the press building. I'm going to be on the Hill, and this is exactly the message I'm going to be telling them. I'm not a journalist. Right. I'm not looking for a job. I'm simply going to be saying, "Look, let me let me help you," in terms of how this is going down with the press, and with the public, and give you some good reasons why you need to get that damn thing done. Right? Okay. I'm happy to tell that to anybody, politely, of course, respectfully. That's where I'm headed. D.C. I'm going to be there the entire 28 days of the next session of Congress, which starts on the 10th. So it's time to. You know, what can I say? Let's let's
0: see if we can get this done, Keith. Okay, bye. Uh, when you come into town, give me a ring. We can hook up and uh, sure hang out. Um, let's it,
5: have lunch at the press club. Anybody got some questions out there in your audience tonight? Well, come let's
0: see if if okay. anybody would like to uh, talk to Steve or to Robert or to me. Uh, you can call uh, our guest call in line is 917 area code 917 uh 889 8802 that's 917 889 8802 and i'll i'll put you on the air if you if you've got a question for our guests. um we're coming up on the bottom of the hour we got about four minutes though but um I'm looking forward to all the changes that are coming. Uh, I didn't even go to my items, sure. but um, the stuff sitting on Mars was, you know, it was blatant back in 1976 when they took the pictures in the first place, but yet yeah. they just, they hemmed and hawed and played games. And NASA was a part of the whole thing. They're not that stupid you know, because after I found the curve on on Mars, and Richard put me in his second edition of his book, and he just said, we're looking at the curve. These knot hits take a high-res shot across that big pyramid that the curve starts out from around. And you see these humps or ridges. One runs down the side of this big pyramidal structure and out across the plane to the first mound, which is perfectly almost circular. And then another one comes down another section of that big pyramid, goes across the plane and connects to the second mound, which is a little more oval. And then there's a third one that comes down, connects to the third mound. And I'm going, these guys just shot themselves in the foot, and they don't even know it because they released it. (laughs) Normally they would have kind of covered it up or hit it or something like that. But I guess they figured nobody would recognize what they were looking at. Oh, boy. I've been sitting on this smoking gun for the longest time, and – these guys have been blowing smoke, and we we should have put them away a long time ago with this, but when you've got scientists who are dismissing it because they've got a they've got a prejudice or or scientific dis mm-hmm. and they just don't want to believe that it's there because I had a lady tell me how, oh how was that yeah when I was at Goddard in eighty eight those ladies so sitting behind me because she was one of the, the Goddard uh, employees. Kind of reminded me of Jill Tartar. But anyway, she's sitting back there and she, and she said, yeah, nature will surprise you. And I'm looking at her and going, nature ain't going to surprise us with that kind of math. But that's what she was thinking when Hoagland, Thorne, and Carlotto were talking about all the things they had discovered. And I hadn't discovered the curve at that point because if I had, boy, would I have given her a earful. But I just want to see, I just wanted to see it come to a head because you put in your time. Well,
5: as you know, Keith,
0: mm-hmm. I, you put in your time. As you know, you Keith,
5: uh, uh, the uh, the NASA is now on board as well. That's no accident. That's all part of the public relations, all part of getting everybody on board and looking right. NASA's on board, set up the task board, held a meeting. It's Mm -hmm. all for show, but it's okay. It's okay. NASA, obviously, after disclosure, is going to have plenty to do with the public's engagement of this issue and probably have some things to uh, show us at some point when it's finally okay to do so. So it's very possible. And it won't be – I don't think it'll – I think people will be – the millennials will certainly not care that NASA's been sitting on stuff for years because NASA's got an easy out. They couldn't possibly bring it forward. It's against the law. Uh, it was classified and against the law. NASA's a civilian space agency. cannot engage national security matters.
0: Well, do I, so, I found don't be a, surprised. I found an article 1965 in the Washington Post where the unions were upset because key positions were being given to retired military personnel. And NASA's charter said that no military personnel could actually run NASA, but these guys were technically civilians. So they were taking over NASA before we went to the moon in 65 and and four years before we got to the moon because they wanted to stifle stuff. And that's the only way they could do it. Oh, we're we're coming up on the break. break. I got to take the break. I'll be right back, okay? Hang on.
3: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. $0.08 an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
4: The other side of midnight.com
0: back to the other side of midnight we've got steve here and we've been having a good conversation um, disclosure is right here, is right in front of us we're doing we're finally seeing the truth come out and it's not something to laugh at because these guys have been sitting on technologies that could have got us off of oil could have had a cleaner atmosphere and a whole bunch of other things. So, Steve, I, I have to my hats off to you because you put in your time, you you helped thing down the road, and the other Stephen Greer, um, he's done his job and pushed us down the road. And um, if it wasn't for you two guys, I don't know where this thing would have been going. Because they would have probably tried to cover uh, it a up lot for more another few years. Mm-hmm.
5: There's a lot more people than just me and him. Believe me, mean, there's a whole lot of people that have been driving this issue for decades. Uh, and they're finally going to see the fruits of their labor. I, I feel bad for the ones that have passed on. We've lost a lot of colleagues. But uh, let me make a point that I think your listeners might, might uh, uh, enjoy hearing is that one confirmation Comes from the president's disclosure, uh, I I think NASA has no problem will not have a problem at all if it has photographs confirming structures on Mars or the Moon. They because it's a pretty easy maneuver for them. Uh, if, 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 first of all, it'll be a huge I mean it'll attract huge attention. NASA and JPL, uh, they would get lauded all around the world. Everybody very excited. It would be thrilling. And the fact that there was ancient structures on the moon and Mars is hardly going to be more shocking than the confirmation that ETs are engaging us now and present. But it will be a feather in NASA's NASA's gap. It will be a wonderful thing. And they, they won't have much to take too much heat because they will be able to say legitimately, look, we could not bring these before you until now because it was all classified and we did not have the legal basis to do it on, under the 1958 Space Act. From the beginning we did not have the license to reveal photos that would confirm the, an extraterrestrial or non-human intelligence no matter how ancient it was because that would have tampered with the truth embargo it would have put pressure on the truth embargo and people say okay, it wasn't your fault and so NASA will have its day and I guess Richard will have his bit. You will have yours. Carlotto. So many others. Antonio. Uh, do I think that they have photos that confirm structures on one or both Mars and Moon? Yes, I do. Looking forward to seeing because it will be pretty cool. Uh, so that's another one more thing that we can look forward to if we can just get this disclosure out of the way.
0: Yeah. And Richard thinks, Richard thinks the war is over, but I still think we have a little bit more work to do. Um, it, it's, it's right there on the verge. It's tilting. We just have to give it that extra little nudge to make sure it goes over the cliff because its, it's time is due. And I, 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 said, I tell people that uh, one of the absolutes in this world is change everything changes and my nephew thinks the earth is flat said well up and down doesn't change and left and right doesn't change and i'm like you get on a ship left and right turns to port and starboard you're in space there is no up and down (laughs) come on and sure everything's changed and i've watched so many changes in my lifetime And looking back at the past and all the changes that have taken place from as far back as I could check, um, the one thing you can say is you can't mark time. Things change. And this is one of the changes that we're going through. And it's about time that all of this came out into the open. And we have to stop acting like uh, we are the, the biggest, latest, greatest out here. And we've never been alone. It's just the stories have been squelched. The technologies have been squelched. The just the mere fact of contact has been squelched. And it's time for it to come forward. Um, It's the only way for us to grow. And the technologies that are standing on the doorstep, boy, I'm just I'm blown away by what's coming. And most people don't see it. And I ask them about the simple things like, uh, you, you, are you familiar with the solid state battery? And they have no clue of what that is, let alone any of the other technologies that are going to just change our world 100%. percent am not even talking about all the ET stuff, but most of the technology we have is ET. It's just reverse engineered stuff that they allowed us to have. And, Now it's time to have the full story and the full truth. Uh, There's so much missing from our history. But I thank you for all the things that you've put forward into this. Um, And Robert as well. Robert's put a lot of time into it. We've We've all put a lot of time into it. And for some reason, people couldn't see what was right in front of them and I'm looking at all of these pyramids and other structures in other countries and people are going, oh, that's just natural. Oh, we don't know how they did that, but we did that. And some of this stuff is just way above primitive man being able to do that kind of stuff. So there were other people involved that were not of this earth. And it's time for us to meet them. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And I hope everybody else is looking forward to it. Um, because we can only go forward from there. Clean air, abundant food for everybody, not just for those who can afford it. And I, I'm, looking for those cha- I'm looking forward to those changes. And I hope everybody hey, else is.
1: Hey, Steve, I have a question for you. How is the CIA so- reacting? all this steven i have a go ahead how is the cia reacting to all of this uh open disclosure since they were the main scoops in keeping the embargo and reinforcing it
5: i caught the i didn't catch the beginning of that question i'm driving across the desert getting a little bit uh thin on the on the signal but what was the first part of that question
1: I said, what is the reaction of the CIA, having been the main spooks and men in black and enforcers of the truth embargo? How are they reacting to this uh, open disclosure?
5: Well, first of all, the CIA was not necessarily the main. The the truth embargo was managed by a lot of entities. Uh, I'm not sure what... Uh, the extent of the CIA's role—I'm sure there were some—but believe me, the, 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 all the military services, the DoD, the NSA, please, GI, please, all of it. Please, please,
1: please don't cover for yeah. the CIA. MJ12 was managed by the CIA from the beginning. The uh, the memo uh, that President Kennedy had demanded the re- reclassification of all UFOs and the joint venture with the Russians was handed off to James Jesus Angleton, and it says plainly written on it. Angleton has MJ, executive. Okay, so please don't cover for the CIA. That's, that's, that's too low. I,
5: I, I don't like that phrase, cover for, uh, but let me say this. You're right. In 52, it was a CIA panel that was brought together to address the uh, kerfuffle that was created by the extraordinary sightings over Washington, D.C. in July of 52. Scared the hell out of they realized the ETs pretty much could do what they wanted. And so, yeah, the CIA panel was put together, and, and that, that panel, I think, kind of formalized the, um, the policy, right, that was going to be moved forward. Now, that we know. Uh, and Angleton, yeah, major spook. That was a long time ago. So if you want to talk about the management of the issue, you need to talk about it over the entire 70 years – and I think over that 70 years, I think it diffused. I think you had, you know, you know A. Fossey was a big player that maybe was involved. So, yeah, I, I'm, not, I, I'm a little uncertain as to somehow it was continued to continue to be centrally run from the CIA for the next 70 years. But certainly the CIA was part of the game. No question about it. Well, the um,
1: Robinson panel was stacked uh, with uh, covert CIA operatives Dr. Menzel and uh Luis Alvarez actually wrote to Dr. Robertson asking them not to put their CIA bona fides in their bios. They were working for the CIA. So CIA was loading uh all of these committees and controlling them from afar. So that's going back to the Robertson committee and as a matter of fact, yeah. Uh, Alvarez Alvarez was doctoring films of UFOs for the US Air Force most notably the Montana film which has his fingerprints The the doctoring of the Montana film when the two UFOs fly by the water tower Uh, I picked that up in 1956 as a kid and finally years later I got my own copy of it and was able to study it frame by frame and I found the same techniques using Gestalt psychology to uh, create an optical illusion. So a lot more happened in the Montana, the Nicholas Mariana film, and it was Luis Alvarez who was acting as the uh, CIA operative and consultant to the Robertson panel, to the U.S. Air Force, and he's actually the man that doctored the Zapruder film as well. So the CIA is hand in glove, and uh, the Eminence grease the great presence in the background of those whole things. So I'm wondering how they're reacting. I haven't heard of
5: Pete. Well, I mean, you know, obviously Jim Semivan with a 30-year CIA guy. He literally comes out as part of the original 10. He's, he hasn't, as far as I know, received any problems or had any difficulties. They are, not surprisingly, not saying much. They're staying back on this. That's to be expected. But I'm not aware the CIA is causing anybody trouble. No, I didn't mean that. Uh, but, but that doesn't mean true. they are. And I'm just saying that it's, it's not it's not it's not turning up at least on my radar. Uh, I didn't mean that the, they're causing anybody. You know, the, the airport.
1: I say I didn't mean that. Uh, they sorry. Were any, I didn't mean that they were causing any anybody trouble now, because these these fellows, you know, they're innocent. They're not the ones that were doing the dirty work back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And uh, I, as I said, the the motto of the CIA is you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this truth coming out is going to set the CIA free from the stigma and the onus of having uh, been the enforcer. So they have a, they have a new, uh, a new path before them and they can possibly redeem themselves. But I was just wondering. Uh,
5: how- uh, yeah. Well, look, if it happened, the CIA and the NSA was formed virtually, at the same time that they were dealing with the Roswell crash I mean, it was all happened in a very rapid succession and so not surprisingly the CIA heavily front loaded with this issue um and i suppose the NSA might have had some uh, you know involvement as well and so yeah they they were definitely the key in the early days but what happened over the next 70 years i don't know but i do know this that the One of the great reforms that's needed in this country that has utterly uh, been impossible to to, to do anything about, Uh, every effort has failed. Uh, Patrick Monaghan, a great senator from New York, the last thing he did before he died was take a run at secrecy reform. It's hopeless. didn't have a chance. We need a full-fledged reform of the entire classified secret world, uh, which has grown. And, and abuse power, abuse secrecy, truth, or what have you, and it needs to be reformed. And it, it, it's, it's been in, uh, inoculated and immune from that. But I think the truth embargoes end much more than the Church Commission or anything else that's turned up. And there's been plenty of abuses that have been made public within our secret world. Certainly CAN is a key focus. Uh, and we know it, but we haven't done anything about it. And so... If, if by setting the CIA free you mean finally we're going to be able to reform how we classify and how we use secrecy and what the, and how we deal with abuses of secrecy when when they uh, develop, then yeah, that would be setting the CIA free. It has a lot to answer for. It needs to do it needs to do some things that will help bring the trust back to our our uh, our classified world. The classified world is too big. This, the number of documents is, uh, that are classified too many, the number of programs too many, uh, and then the ability to do black programs and operate somewhat independently of, of most oversight. All of this has got to be fixed. And But that's not all that has to be fixed. I mean, after disclosure, we've got to deal with the nuclear weapons. Right. And that's, that, so those you. two things
1: alone are going to be I, same, I agree with you, <laughs> and I think the same thing applies to the FBI. It has to be. radical reform in the FBI and and the secrecy and the uh, obstruction because it really is obstruction of justice the way they've been handling things for the last couple of years. Anyway, thanks for the answer. I appreciate it. Sure.
0: Yeah, Sure. Okay. We're about uh, 12, 11 minutes out from uh, the show coming to an end. Um, Is there anything you guys would like to say to the audience?
5: Well, sure. Uh, look, uh, first of all, there is a huge conference coming up in, 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 in Las Vegas in November, November 10 to 12, It's called Stairway to the Stars. I'm going to be speaking, Richard Dolan and quite a few others. It's going to be, a, going to be somewhat like Conscious Life Expo, only bigger. I believe, uh, I think the hotel, the Luxor Hotel has 4,000 rooms. I think they're booking 2,000 of them for the attendees. Uh, so this is going to be a mammoth event. Uh, you can Google Stairway to the Stars uh, or Disclosure Fest Foundation, and you can get caught up on that. I invite people to be there. Uh, there is an excellent possibility that that conference will be held after disclosure has taken place, which means it's going to be one hell of a celebration in Las Vegas, and then... There is another conference that I'm going to be speaking at in December, December one to three, and this is in New in Mexico City, Mexico. It is another, I think it's the eighth or ninth World Ufology Con- Conference, which has been conference which has been held now uh, in a number of nations. It's growing. Not only is it possible that conference will be held after disclosure, it will be held in a city with a population of 25 million. In a country that has one of the highest public awareness quotients of this phenomena in the world. Now, in Mexico, they call it OFI. But I assure you, if you were to poll the Mexican people, you would find they are much more interested, much more on top of, and much more knowledgeable about this phenomena than than Americans. So that's in December. These two events are huge. Now, there's other conferences coming up. You've got one in Roswell right now, which is going to wrap up in a couple of days. That's a huge event. MUFON has got a major symposium coming up. All of this can be found on my website under Resources, Upcoming Conferences. Uh, And furthermore, uh, I'm going to be uh, returning to D.C., and I'll be splitting my time between D.C. and Los Angeles. In D.C., I'll be doing activism. In Los Angeles, I'll be doing media content. And I'm about to convert, I guess some would say a little late, whatever. The timing seems right. I'm going to convert Paradigm Research Group into a boutique think tank, boutique think tank. And it will be based in the press building. And I'll start raising funds to operate it as a think tank with with a board and with advisor group. To provide information to Congress and others related to this issue, so look for that to happen soon. Meanwhile, Danny Sheehan, who was uh, who who was 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 involved in well, Danny Sheehan is all over this issue. He's been engaging the Department of Defense and the IG's office. Uh, He's pretty familiar with what's going on with the David Grush. He is already. Uh, 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 how would you say, set up the legal structure for another think tank called the New Paradigm Institute. Now, that's set up and ready to go. It's already got a nonprofit status. Now, that's going to be a big deal. That's going to have a very high level board of directors. It's going to have an office in the West Coast. It will also have an office, I think, in the National Press Building. They're looking to raise at least a million dollars to get that going. And anybody that uh, is interested in helping that, get in touch with me, and I'll get you in touch with Danny. And so there's two think tanks in the works. From our side, I assure you, think tanks are going to start springing up in this country, particularly in Washington, D.C., if disclosure takes place like flowers in the spring. I mean, they're going to be all over the place. Plus, every major think tank, Cato, American – uh, the Center for American Progress, Enterprise Institute, every single one of them is going to create a UAP or, or uh, uh, you know, a UAP division, right, or extraterrestrial division, whatever you want to call it, and and for them to quote provide input to what what should we do in the post-disclosure world, it's going to be think tank heaven, and I'm I'm hoping to have a little piece of that. Danny could have a huge piece. And uh, there will be others. And we hope that the public will support this because all we're going to be learning soon is what we've known for 76 years. We're not alone mm-hmm. and that there's have, that we have some tech and we, we've had maybe contact with ETs or at least humans have had contact. That, that's all we're going to learn. And that's fine. But that's, that's nothing compared to what's coming after that. That's when the real work starts. But just learning the ETs are here, having it confirmed to us is what? That's just, a, that's just a new piece of information. What comes after disclosure is the work that will be conducted by millions of people around the world in 200 countries where we reshape the world to reflect a worldview that has just been provided, the paradigm shift that has just taken place, reshape the world so that it is appropriate for that, for that paradigm shift. And it starts to work. It starts to get fixed. It starts to get reformed so that we have a future like the ETs have. They've been around a long time. Apparently, it's possible to be around a long time. We, on the other hand, are, are dedicated to destroying the planet we live on and the whole human race with weapons. And so we're going to have to, some very interesting decisions to make. And uh, I think that's going to be the work of the post-disposure world. We just have a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you, is there
1: any plan in the works, uh, do you know, of, to identify the aliens who are, because you're, you're going to identify, you have craft, you have technology, who made it?
5: Yeah. Are they going to identify the Well, entities? first of all, the government knows. Yes. The government knows who these are because the government has their own contactees. They're contactees within the, the, the classified world. If you're a contactee working in a government in some office somewhere, you don't have a high classification status or any classification status, and you start talking about contact, you're probably going to be told to keep quiet. But if you work at the CIA or NSA or or you have classified status in the Air Force and they learn that you are a contactee, they're not going to tell you to be quiet. They're going to put you up at a suite at the Hill buffet lunches and you're going to become their best friend. And so they have been learning about contact, uh, about ETs from their own contactees uh, for some time. Now, uh, after disclosure, when, as things move forward, inevitably, we're going to have hearings in front of the committees where contactees are going to testify. Now, it may very well start with government employees with classified status, they may be the first uh, uh, witnesses, but at some point, they're gonna start bringing up some civilian contactees. And the point is, is that pretty much everything we know about who the ETs are, what they look like, their behaviors, is from contactees. And so they're going to be a big part of the post disclosure world. They're going to have their day, they're gonna get respect, uh, their 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 stories are going to be uh, invested well reviewed. Uh, they're going to write books. They're going to be movies, uh, and everybody's going to want to know one. I mean, in the post disclosure world, if you don't know a contact D, forget about it. Right? We don't have time for you. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that because these people have paid a special price uh, under this truth embargo. Not everyone, but plenty of them really like. All, any kinds of people that are forced to live in a closet because who they are or what they know is simply not acceptable to society or to government uh, posture, mm-hmm. this is no, no life you want to live. Uh, and so the closet door is going to open pretty soon, and the number of contactees, which will ultimately come forward, could very well be in the millions. So that's something else to look forward in the post disclosure world. Oh,
1: I agree. I know a lot of contactees. I've counseled them for years. Very difficult life. And when the time comes, I just say, be me up, Scotty. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I have had I'll my, tell own. You. I have my own since since my, my teenage years. Uh, I have had a long series of uh, contact experiences with various races of extraterrestrials but that's one of the reasons that I chose psychology for my degree but parapsychology is my field and that's where uh, this, uh, this presence really resides so thanks a lot for the answer
5: yeah, I, I have never had the privilege of that kind of phenomena or anything like that but I, I'll tell you people are going to uh, not maybe be surprised maybe not be surprised down the line they're going to learn that uh, so many of the people they got involved in this because, in government, because they were contactees, and that's why they've been working so
0: hard. We're on a runway, guys. Thank you, Steven uh, Bassett, for being a guest, and you, Robert Morningstar, and, and hopefully Richard will be back uh, next week because I think he wants to do a rerun of this show if he thinks it's good. And you guys, we'll see you on the uh, other side. Good night, all.